Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'm going to be your host today. On the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices for leading teams, for driving and executing strategy, and other best practices as it relates to leadership and team development. And our goal here on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and executable tips that you can use right away to support the growth of your organization or your business. So if you enjoy today's episode, please be sure to subscribe. You can follow us on YouTube for other bonus content on strategy and leadership, or, and you can join in on the conversation on Facebook in the strategy and leadership community. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. My guest today is Matthew Barnett, who is the Papa Bear at Bonjoro. Matthew, how are you today? Great, thank you, and awesome to be here. I'm excited to be able to chat. Uh, why don't you tell folks a little bit about your company, about your background, and how things are going in life? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm based out of uh, Australia. We run a company called Bonjuro, which is a one-to-one personalized video platform. So used generally by companies to check in with leads and clients on a personal basis, uh, quick little messages that are used in the customer funnel to, to convert more leads, to activate customers, to treat longstanding customers well and, keep them to, uh, and get them to stay for longer. I am an industrial designer originally, so not from the tech industry, but as the markets have moved now, things changed, I found that designing products and engines is no different to designing online products. So I kind of found myself falling into that maybe eight years ago. I was in the UK. Uh, we're based out of Australia, but then now, because 95% of our customers are not in Australia, we've ended up having to grow a team now in five continents. Um, so it's a fairly lean team, only 15 of us. And that's obviously presented its challenges, but it's had huge benefits for how we handle customers around the world and how we build products and how we access the best resources. Perfect. And then as it relates to, you know, developing that team, if we go like right into it, what would you say are some of the things that you've learned that have been important, valuable in growing a remote team, being that spread across presumably time zones, locations, and functions? Sure. I think the first thing, just almost taking a step back, is the decision to grow a remote team in the first place. Mm. Um, I think... If, like many companies now, you do have a global audience or potential for a global audience in the years that we've been in business, the ability to access team members and access you know, resources in other countries has, has become infinitely easier and easier to access. If you do choose to do this, you know, I suggest it opens up so many doors in terms of finding the best talent, finding time zones that work, being able to turn things around a lot quicker, being able to you know, access different price points as well. I think when you step into this, the biggest rule and the biggest learning point you will hit and we hit is around communication. And so really when you have a, t- t- um, a team in different time zones, you know, you will obviously have challenges within teams. You'll have difficult things you're trying to solve together, maybe even like teams in certain silos and not in the right country together. Um, you'll have disagreements. And I think if you can 
understand that, that communication is absolutely vital to success. You know, you'll start in the right way. Uh, so, for instance, one, one, of the, one of the clearest lessons here is you will end up using a, a, a product like Slack. You'll do a lot of online communication. You might use email. Uh, there are absolutely points when people need to pick up the phone or jump onto Zoom or jump into a video call. Because what you'll see is that you know, when you do have conflict, when you have challenges, online comms is just not like online written comms just isn't good enough to get across, I guess, personalities, emotions at the time, what people really mean. And so you'll see conflicts often blow up when in reality, you know, a three minute phone call would have solved that. And this is the thing that, you know, you can't, you can't just turn around someone who's sitting sit next to you when, you know, they're in the UK and you're in Australia. So one of the biggest lessons is building a culture whereby people are happy to pick up the phone, happy to talk and address conflict management in person rather than leaving everything online. Mm, because, I mean, we see organizations where, you know, you could be sitting right next to the person and still not have effective communications, <laughs> exactly. right? And so on one hand, maybe it's highlighted in your organization because of the fact that it's remote is it like the majority by nature is remote. And so you're getting these texts, um, you know, maybe not communicating the emotion or like you said, the personalities or what have you. But then on the flip side of that, because you guys are remote, that like the solution is maybe more clear versus in a, an office type setting where you might not take that solution or you might take that solution for granted and continue along with, uh, you know, a bunch of different ways to not get across that message. I, I don't know, obviously in your career, you've worked in different organizations, but do you find that because you've had to foster that communication of air quotes face to face, that that has made a big difference in reducing the frustration and reducing the issues when they come up? Yeah, like, like I think uh, oh, we obviously take it to kind of one extreme because you really have to hit this thing, and it wasn't something we, I think, anticipated would be so difficult. So we really kind of drove into it. I think a lot the other things that we do start to, you know, with the evolution of, of the way that we talk online, say, and Slack's been a big driver here. You know, frustrations are actually a lot more public. So whereas in the office you might have frustration with with, with one colleague, and again you may or may not choose to go and kind of solve that online. If you're talking open channels and stuff, you know, things can be read into, things are more public, other team members can see. Yeah, and of course, those things can be read into in the right way or in the wrong way, depending on kind of what day someone's having. So you can't jump in and cut these off a lot quicker. You know, the one challenge, I think, as a leader is, despite that, it can often be, be hard to kind of jump in and spot things before they start to escalate. I think, you know, in an office, you do have the opportunity to, when, when you see people having conflict, you know, if you're an emotionally aware leader, there's a good chance you'll pick up on it and you'll be able to intervene if you needed to, or be able to step in and say, hey guys, let, let, let's just ha have a chat around this, you know, potentially cut things off, especially if you're more experienced. Whereas you know, online, if something is more private, it's very hard to pick up on what's happening. And so, you know, you might only hear about things later down the line. So you know, to, that, to that extent, You'll always have some challenges there, but I think, you know, fostering a culture whereby, you know, you have to get people to resolve things a lot, lot quicker, inevitably happens because you as a leader can't step in, in the real world and kind of intervene. So you start to build a culture that tries to preempt these things um, mm. if you're successful at that. Yeah. And one thing I want to point out, like, you know, with your team, how many people do you have on your team? 
315 now. Okay. So, you know, when we think of like the locus of control of a manager or a leader, you know, executive, you know, it's probably about like, that's probably the high end. Maybe you could manage 20, 25 people, or if you're really good, like 30, but the more people you have to manage, the harder it is to a stay on top of your regular day-to-day stuff and be in a place where you can see those communications. And then, you know, you had put something really interesting, Matthew, is that when those communications are private, you don't get the benefit of being able to sort of sniff those out or see those. And then we found in, in bigger organizations, you know, by the time something makes it up to you as a CEO or an executive or senior leader, it's already gotten to the point where it's conflict, not just, you know, sniffing it out early. So it sounds like, Matthew, you put some stuff in place, either structurally or culturally, to be able to help people resolve those things early so that you don't have to pay attention to them or keep your your eyes on top of the communication and rather that they sort those things out. Do you have any best practices that you found have been you know really successful within your culture that you might be able to share with our listeners? Having a good management team and having them on board with this around you is is, is essential. So we, we really only have company heads in Australia and in the UK, which is where we have offices. Uh, so the other team are, are more diverse, but within each team, so within marketing, within products, uh, within kind of CS, we, we have management heads and I work with them to make sure that they are really across their team, that they can obviously spot and resolve conflict quicker because they're going to see things that I won't see. This involves, you know, absolutely having, you know, regular calls, regular stand-ups as their team. Um, we also do country get-togethers as well, which might be different teams. But if you are in the same place, again, pushing people outside the office and doing time outside of work, even though you're remote, trying to make an effort to get together. But I think like, if you have that amount of team and you train them and they are culturally like you and you, know, you ask them to you know, anticipate where things are happening, check in with different team members, promote this, this culture of you know, cutting things off quickly and understanding that you know, remote, so much stuff gets taken out of context, yeah. then things tend to bubble up quicker. Again, you, won't ca- you will not catch everything. But it does help a lot. Again, those team members need to be on board with that. So, yeah, it sounds like when you're you're talking to your team, really being aware of, you know, the scenario, like it's it's sort of obvious that your team is remote, but then also saying, hey, our team is remote and here are the things to, to keep in mind. You know, we work with an organization that had two offices similar to you and, and employees around. And it was the first time in their strategy session that they were able to, like, get together and talk about some of those important things. And it sounds like what you've done is, you know, created those touch points, creating that frequency so that regular communications at that level to minimize the impact of any challenges, but also to like foster that teamwork and that culture of, I guess, openness and transparency. Yeah, for sure. And something, I mean, one of the things that I was suggesting, if you do go, especially globally remote, um, you know, there comes a point when you have to get everyone together. So mm-hmm. we'll fly the whole team together once a year, and then we'll let uh, and then we'll let certain team members move between teams at various points on the year. Uh, but we make sure we have a hard stop where everyone comes together, and then again, you actually build those. Like because online, where anyone anyone's only ever interacts with everyone online, yeah, there's parts of relationship that that you don't foster, which is the kind of after work, drinks or, or restaurant kind of relationship. So make sure to get together to foster those as much as we can. We can do it you know, for at least a week at a time, so it's quite a substantial amount of time. But the point is, again, as people start to connect outside of work, it then down the line makes 
conflict and challenges easier for those team members to address because they know each other, you know, personally now as well, which again, in, in an office environment is much easier. Offline, you have to consciously work to make this happen. Absolutely. So let, let's, I mean, change directions a little bit. In terms of your tool, Bonjaro, what I imagine the sol- problem you're trying to solve is that same communication piece. It's a little bit different bent and maybe perhaps a different intention. But can you tell me a little bit about, in the context of the importance of communication, why a tool like yours can support you know, communication as a whole. And by the way, this is not a pitch for your company, but I just really <laughs> like the idea in terms of what it can do for communications, both from a business development point and a strategy execution point, but also a, a teamwork, collaboration, communication, and clarity kind of tool. Yeah, for sure. So so, so video is just a medium. So I wouldn't almost class as a, as a video tool where we're, we're a comms tool. And why we work is that really what's happening is customers who are traditionally in online interactions with businesses, suddenly those businesses are kind of breaking the fourth wall where they're dropping messages and saying, oh, hey, by the way, I'm Nigel. I'm the guy who you talk to on support. Look, humans, we're social animals, yeah? So, so you know, we're used to communicating in person with voice and facial expression, everything else. When you take things just into text, you kind of drop 70, 80% of that. Now, when you deal with someone online or a company or an individual who you haven't met, you haven't seen because of the way the business is today, when that person then reaches out and they're like, here I am, I'm this guy, you know, I'm also stopping to spend a minute to take time to acknowledge you as a customer. That's reciprocated with, with a lot of goodwill. We see who the person is. We can then trust them. You know, we read their face, who they are. We go, oh, this person is just like me. And it instantly forms these, even though this might be a minute video, it forms a much deeper relationship straight away because you, because you understand that person. And again, offline, this is take for granted. You know, we do this millions of times a year, probably. But when you get online again, it's just something that's not there, something that's missing. Now, that extends into teams, because how do you, let's say with, with remote teams, build this, this part I mentioned a minute ago, which is the kind of like the whole out of work offline attitude and, uh, and I guess uh, the kind of ties between different team members. So for instance, where we use this internally is that team members at random points will drop messages to the entire company. So when people are on holidays, when people are having birthdays, when people are experiencing something quite funny, you know, the team is encouraged to hop on board, do a quick one minute video and send it out to the whole team. So for instance, one, one of my team the other day sent a video out, he was in the dentist, he'd lost all the capacity to, to speak like a real human. And so sitting in the waiting room, trying to talk with his mouth all numb, he used to the video and was like, oh, hey, everyone, and just did it as if it was like a normal Monday introduction about what he'd been doing that week <laughs> to the whole team. And it's hilarious. And he knew it'd be hilarious. And, and, that's, and this is the kind of stuff where people get to know people a little bit more. And although, again, it was a minute video, you know, one of the new team members who just joined us from the Philippines has never really met Mike before, sees this, and he's like, instantly, he's like, this guy's, this guy's hilarious. And it starts to warm him up to that person. And so when they talk, you've got that history that starts to build the, the foundation of their relationship. Even though, again, it's not like they've had, actually sat down and talked for hours on end. It gets a big chunk of the way there. Well, I, I heard a couple things, I mean, most notably around, you know, trust and, and connection. 
So using video to do that, because again, you know, when you're inundated by emails, it's so easy to just, you know, take the person out of it and be like, oh, this is whatever, more, more information, more whatever. But obviously as a, as a leader, you know, you want to be able to have that personalization while increasing the context of it and then building the trust and connection, especially when you're doing important communications, like, you know, rolling out your strategic plan, talking about something that is relevant, you want to add context to it. But what I really heard out of that example is using video as an opportunity to be like a little bit vulnerable. I think as CEOs and and people who run companies, you know, yourself included, you got to look good all the time. And it's like sort of like you have to look good. But then if you can actually make that personal connection, even if it's in a, a 60 seconds to tell somebody about your day or what's going on with you, I think it really does create that that foundational piece. It's like, wow, this person is more than, you know, my CEO or more than my project manager, or more than my desk mate. Like I actually get a, a glimpse of who they are without having to feel that like just be a little bit vulnerable yeah. in that one moment. If only for 60 seconds they were vulnerable, it creates that foundation of getting to know that person better. Things have changed a lot in the last few years. So you know, brands and by default culture is becoming much more transparent within teams. You've always had cultures who would do this. Yeah? We are by no means unique. Yeah? There are corporate cultures who have amazing internal cultures with team that you know, the CEO will be vulnerable. They're kind of a friend's environment. Yeah, that, that has happened. I think what was really interesting is you start to see this happen a lot more in business to customer relationships. And so with us, probably half our customers are business to consumer, the other half are business to business. And, and you see this tearing down of the old boundaries between, you know, what is the business brand and what is the customer? And probably where, where we see this most effective. So we just did some research recently. You know, and we find that all of our users, 25% of them are sending messages to clients. And I use include health professionals, they include financial wealth managers, banks, like, like you name it. They're doing this to their clients on their commute to work. So they're not in the office. They're often not in a suit and tie. They're often grabbing a coffee. And I actually think a lot of corporates are very good at this. What it is, is it's making that human connection with the client saying, look, I may work for Ernst & Young or whatever, but I'm a dad like you. I'm a guy who drinks coffee like you, you know. Yeah, I'm a lady who goes out and surfs every morning like you. And so you're making these human connections, which really is how relationships are formed. You know, we work with people that we like. And if you get to know anyone in a company, you know, very, very quickly, you start to go into who they are as a person rather than who they are as a company. And this whole thing, you know, it takes back to culture. You know? like if, you don't, if you don't have a culture that trusts your team and that is okay with being open and transparent, then yes, potentially this won't work for you. But consumers are driving this and more and more consumers are pushing bigger brands to be more transparent because we've kind of had enough and we want to trust people again. This is timely and it's happening and we'll only see it happen more and more as we start to break those boundaries. Yeah, so developing like not just a faceless brand, which is, you know, especially in this world of conglomeration and everything is owned by a couple companies, you know, in that marketplace, using this type of communication as a competitive advantage to say like, hey, here's a person that's building your website. Here's the person that's putting this deck for you. Here's the person that and their team that's working at 10 o'clock at night to help yeah. drive this deliverable and really like bring humanity back to the transaction, but also like building those relationships so that it can become deeper. Cause you and I both know you can buy something with never actually talking to a human being and having it just showed up at your door and you're like, Oh, cool. Thanks robots. And sometimes it is a robot, but sometimes there's an actual person behind it and being able to really make that connection. And 
yeah, just showing who you are. And I think from the retention and culture piece, if you're doing that kind of thing, like it's a competitive advantage to show that you care and to show a little bit about yourself. So I think that there's there's huge uh, benefits to that. So I, I think that's a really cool platform, a really cool thing that you guys are doing. In terms of strategy and growing your company, you know, what are some of the core tenets in terms of how your team operates? How do you drive performance within your team? And we talked about culture as a foundation of that, but is there any sort of best practices that you've found that work to get everybody aligned and on the same page? So always back to the whole transparency thing. So like I mentioned to you as we start this call, I've just got off have three calls. It's 9 a.m. here, we're already three calls in. One of those calls is our monthly team meeting. So we work very hard, hard this, and it's getting harder. You know, we still work for a company, but trying to get everyone together on a call no matter the time zone. So inevitably, somebody's always half asleep or having a beer or having a coffee mm-hmm. on that call. And then we talk about kind of, kind of KPIs within silos, which is nothing new. I'm sure everyone here does that. We have goals for each quarter for each month. But then what we do specifically is we get everyone to talk to those goals or each team lead and they'll bring their team members in on a call with the whole company. And the point here is that there's absolute transparency about what was good, what we achieved, what we missed, where we didn't get targets, maybe where we need help and where you know team members who we might not work with that often could actually get involved and help our different team. So again, it, it partly kind of forms a culture thing. But again, it, the whole point here is is transparency and open KPIs that relate to the success of the company so that everyone can see where people are pulling, where people are hitting goals, where people are testing stuff and failing, which is a good thing for our company. Like we want people to test and be happy to fail, what the learnings were and where we go from there. We really push this into getting this up to the top. So it's not just something that management and board look at. It's something that the most junior member of the team can see why everyone does what they do, where they're successful and where people need help. Yeah, so really using the dashboard, the KPI to well get everybody on the same page, but also to show where the opportunities are and to galvanize the team around a thing. And then what I like is not just having like a reporting dashboard online to say, hey, look at it, whatever, but really to just showcase the the successes, the equally, if not more important failures and the opportunities moving forward. So everybody is really connected to the business results, like how does their work translate to the business results on a day-to-day basis. It makes a culture where everyone wants the business to succeed and they want each of their colleagues to succeed as well. And they'll congratulate them when they've done well and when they're having challenges, then they'll step in and help. And again, this is top down. So if one of our juniors will go and help like our CMO. Although we have a hierarchy and you need to have a hierarchy, we then try and break that down at certain points, at least you know, monthly, so that people will mix with other team members yeah, and support them. The main thing here is driving them ahead. Everyone mm. wants to get up on that call and be the star of the month. And it really helps kind of push those ahead. Again, KPIs are almost the easy part of this. How do you then get people to make sure they hit them and want to hit them and want to take them a step further? Yeah, absolutely. And as my, my strategic planner in me says, you need the KPIs, the measures of success, so that you can actually know what you need to do to move that forward. And then to also like create the framework for your management and leadership to support those that need the support. And then to be able to acknowledge and praise the ones that have done well, and then really create alignment from the team from that perspective. So that's awesome. Matthew, anything else that you want to share? Any other best practices before we finish up? Or if you want to share where people can connect with you and learn more about you? I'll just reiterate you, right? if you haven't really thought about the whole remote team thing, this is where companies are going to go and succeed. And there's some extremely successful companies, especially coming out of the States, who are just knowing this from day one. 
So if you haven't thought about it, like start to think about it, talk to other companies who've done it uh, and buy remote. We're not just talking about kind of, you know, support in the Philippines. I mean, marketers in London, you know, support in Germany or in Canada or South Africa. Um, it really does start to fundamentally challenge how you think to build a business operationally. And if you can get it right, again, like we talked a lot about you know, the challenges of communication, but you know, like you will solve that. The benefits far outweigh any downside to this 100%. Look, if you have any questions around that, you can always hunt me down on LinkedIn. You'll find me under Matt Barnett or Papa Bear. I'm the guy in the bear suit. It's pretty easy to find me. So if you'd like any advice, like here to help. I had a lot of help getting going myself. If you're interested in Bonjour, you can check it out. Go to bonjour.com. You'll receive a video from one of my team in person. Uh, so do say hello as well. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. And I know from a lot of people that I've talked to, you know, especially when you're looking at retaining talent and creating flexible workspaces and, and also getting economies of scale and economic benefits from having that, there's a lot of cool stuff. And then it's like a, a grounding part of your culture. And it sounds like you, you and your team have created a great culture and a great structure and a system to be successful. So I really thank you for being on the podcast, for sharing with us. And I wish you guys all the best as you move forward. Thank you. It's been great to be here. My guest today has been Matthew Barnett, who is Papa Bear at Bonjoro. So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I hope you took some tips and tricks away on how to open communication, how to drive success within your company, and also some of the benefits of a remote team if you're thinking about doing that. And be sure to reach out with Matt, to Matthew, and you'll probably get a video response from him. So my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. If uh, there's somebody in your network who might enjoy today's podcast, be sure to share with them and then rate us five stars on iTunes iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, so we can help more people that have distributed and local offices. So thanks again for joining us, and until next time. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you're in the process of renewing your strategic plan, and you're looking for a framework to align your team, and to create a clear vision, clear goals, and a clear roadmap on how to get there, be sure to check out our signature course that will walk you through the process that we've used to create hundreds of strategic plans successfully for organizations all over the world. You'll get instant access to all the videos and documents right away. And so whether you're planning a strategy session in three months, three weeks, or three days, you'll be able to get the most out of your meeting and have everyone be on the same page and bought into your plan. It's the exact same framework that we've used for our clients and we've packaged it in a way that you can use it easily yourself. So visit smestrategy.net slash course, and you can use the code podcast for $100 off. That's smestrategy.net slash course, and use the code podcast for $100 off, and you'll get instant access to all of the tools to help you create your strategic plan successfully and have everybody moving forward on the same page. Once again, this is Anthony Taylor with the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you real soon.